This is Fans on the Run, a podcast made by, for, and about Beatles fans. And now, here's your host, Ethan Alladay. Welcome, 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 welcome back to a new episode of Fans on the Run. I don't know why I needed to clarify to say it was a new episode, because, you know, you look at it and it says new episode of Fans on the Run, wherever you look at it. But again, I think that the tagline of this show, and it's now becoming almost the official tagline, I digress. Um, Fans on the Run, the only Canadian Beatle podcast, well, at least as far as I know. Uh, I usually say some joke there, but that's just something I find interesting. You know, I'm the only Canadian Beatle podcaster, I think. Of course, I, I could be completely wrong. And like some guy who's been doing a show for like five years will be like, what the fuck, man? I've, I'm here, too. So if there's to ever to any other Canadian Beatle podcasters out there. I'm sorry. But I was I was looking at my numbers recently uh, for the like analytics in the show and um I was noticing I'm popular in certain provinces, but I'm very not popular in others. Uh, Manitoba, you're dead to me. I don't have a single listener in Manitoba. That's but, weird. Yeah, that is weird. Again, <laughs> I don't know if anyone actually lives in Manitoba either. So, <laughs> um, But something that kind of also shocked me, I'm not that popular in Quebec, which is weird because half of my family lives in Quebec. So... They're just not listening to the show. <laughs> uh, this could be one of many reasons. That being said, to what listeners I do have in Quebec, I have, I say, Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Bienvenue à Fans on the Run, une émission uh, réalisée par pour and à propos fans de les Beatles. Very uh, good. Uh, actually, you know what? I think just a bonjour hi will do just fine for this show. <laughs> Maybe throw in Tabarnak somewhere in there. Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> but uh, you've already heard from my guests today. Usually, like, it seems like some of them are scared while I'm doing my manic introduction. They're like, oh, <laughs> gee, let's get let's let the kid, you know, come down from his high or whatever. <laughs> but as always, we have a great guest for today. He's a singer songwriter from Montreal whose latest EP, Try, can be found wherever good music can be heard. Max Como, welcome to Fans on the Run. Hi there, Ethan. So happy to be on Fans on the Run. I've been listening uh, for the past few months, and it's uh, it's great to now be in full conversation mode with you. Uh, I'm glad to be in full conversation mode with you. <laughs> I, I just like talking to people. I, I sometimes actually um, participate in the conversation when I'm listening to Fans on the Run. Now, of course, I'm 100% conscious of the fact that neither you nor your guest hear me when I participate as I'm listening to your pre-recorded podcast. But I often feel like it's talking to me personally as a fan, which I'm assuming is uh, the experience for most of your listeners. You know, most of your listeners feel like, hey, this is a show really about our experience as fans. We can all relate to it, you know? Well, now you just gave me a good idea for like an episode to pump out. You know, a DIY, follow the bouncing ball karaoke episode of Fans on the Run. Right. I just ask the question and then there's about 10 seconds of silence. I'm like, hmm, that's really interesting. 
You know, the great thing in Beatle uh, lore is that you can, you know, wait a few years and then re-release the podcasts and say that they've been digitally remastered and they've been updated and maybe you can redo the packaging and remix uh, and maybe put in some uh, bonus uh, material that was cut out and hey we'll eat it up we'll eat it up by the uh, by the spoonful <laughs> i'm not exactly sure how high the demand would be for like a 5.1 you know surround <laughs> sound mix of my conversations with kiddo tool <laughs> Hey, you know, if, if it makes us feel like we're in the studio with you two, then it'll be pure magic. That was not a dig at Kit, by the way. That was a dig at <laughs> no, myself. Of Kit is great. Kit is great. But anyways, um, I, I've been doing this more and more uh, starting the shows I've been doing lately. I want to ask you some kind of general music-y questions first. Yes. What was the first record you ever bought, period? Like, um. Well, the first the first record that was bought uh, for me because I, I was too young to buy it myself was actually and and I need to mention it because it's still a huge part of my musical landscape, and that was an album by they're actually from Ontario originally, um, Sharon Lois and oh. Brown. <laughs> yes, well, and of course you know they're um, it, it's kids music, and you were you were talking about you hadn't had much experience with kitty music uh, other than the wiggles when when you yourself were a kid oh damn you but really the, listen to the show <laughs> i do listen to the show yes but um for me sharon Lewis and bram were really they were huge because yes it was music for children but they incorporated folk they incorporated a bit of jazz they incorporated a bit of blues uh they incorporated all types of broadway show tunes all types of music uh and for me it was a lot more than just skin and rink. It ended up being a whole musical education and I still own their entire discography on both CD and vinyl. Uh, so they were my first influence. And even though it is quote unquote kids music, uh, it went above and beyond for me in terms of my uh, musical education, in terms of opening up my horizons. They even have a piece by Bach on their first, uh, on their first album, a little uh, classical guitar piece. So, so to me, that was huge. It, it was, as I say, it was a lot more than Skin and Marink. That is actually, well, I can say for certain that's the first time Sharon, Sharon Lewis and Bram have been mentioned on Fans on the Run. Well, there you go. And, um, you know, they actually a, they actually covered uh, a little bit later on in their careers uh, at a point where I was a little bit too old to be listening to them. But I have listened since they actually covered two Beatles songs. They've covered both When I'm 64, a gorgeous version uh, where the first verse is kind of read much like a letter. Uh, it's sung by Bram, Bram Morrison uh, of the uh, trio. And they also recorded a cover of I Will, uh, the White Album song. And that's sung by Sharon, uh, Sharon Hampson on, uh, on one of their albums. So they themselves uh, um, are, you know, Beatles lovers and have, have covered the Beatles, two McCartney songs. Uh, I, I also want to ask, what is your favorite non-Beatles album? 
Uh, it would have to be um, most probably Rumors or Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. I, I'm a big Fleetwood Mac fan. I became a Fleetwood Mac fan about three or four years after really becoming a Beatles fan. And there was something very human about their music. And, and what I mean by that is when I was listening to the Beatles, it, they felt like otherworldly creatures. Yeah. You know, they, they, they felt like mythical uh, characters. Whereas Fleetwood Mac, you know, like their their biggest ever hit, a song called Dreams, which became yet again a hit in 2020 because of a, a viral TikTok yeah. video. That song has two chords. The dude it's with the cranberry F- juice. Exactly. It's F and G throughout the entire song. It's a very, very basic song. It's gorgeously arranged and gorgeously produced. But what I mean by them being human is, you know, I was playing guitar at that point and just starting out when I first got into Fleetwood Mac and realizing that some of their songs were really that simple, an F and a G, made me think, wow, maybe, maybe I can do this too. Whereas with the Beatles, I'm not saying every Beatles song is extraordinarily complex. Obviously, something like Love Me Do uh, has like, what, three chords in it. Yeah. So it, it's it's very basic as well. But but still with the Beatles, it just seemed like, oh, well, you can't touch that. They're they're like they're like angels sent from they're heaven. I don't know. Exactly. And it just didn't feel like I could sing along to them. But but it was too intimidating to say, oh, I could do that, you know. So, yeah, so, so Fleetwood Mac, I guess, would be uh, – it's a long-winded answer, but I guess Rumors or Tusk would be uh, my favorite non-Beatle album. Speaking of those Beatles, I think this is where I, I segue into the normal questions. Yes. So let's go back to the beginning. How did yes. you first discover the Beatles? Okay, well, the first time I was ever conscious of the Beatles, this this is a story that that I love. And as I was discussing with you uh, just prior uh, to us starting this, um, I think every Beatle fan, every passionate Beatle fan is in love with his own origin story of how they became Beatles fan. And I and I and I really like my story because my my story really started with a complete and other utter resistance uh, on my part. And what I mean by that is I was about six or seven and my father decided to bring my sister and I to Sam the Record Man on St. Catherine Street in Montreal. A great place, a great place to to buy uh, albums and cassettes back in the day. That's entertainment. It is, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, we... We got to Sam the Record Man, and my father decided to buy us two Beach Boys greatest hits and two Beatles compilations. Okay. Now, the Beach Boys uh, that he bought us was the Best of the Beach Boys Volume 1 and the Best of the Beach Boys Volume 2. <laughs> and I immediately fell in love with the Beach Boys. Surfing USA, uh, Help Me Rhonda, Barbara Ann. I loved the Beach Boys from the second the cassette popped into the cassette player in the car. Actually, as a question. As, Do you remember yes. either of those Beach Boys cassettes? Because I think I have those, the volume one and volume two. Yes. But I, it's weird because they came out around like 67, 66. But I don't think they had any of the songs from Pet Sounds on them. 
I don't believe so. I, I think uh, possibly volume two, I think, might include Wouldn't It Be Nice. Okay. But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I just remember thinking, man, this music is full of love. It's full of sunshine. And I really immediately took to the Beach Boys. Whereas the Beatles, here are the two cassettes that my, my father picked out by the Beatles. And my Beatle, and my, and my father, I just want to clarify, has always been a huge music lover, but has never been uh, a fanatic or or a nerd. And I, and I use the word nerd with a lot of love because I consider myself a Beatle nerd. I'm sure you consider yourself a Beatle nerd. Of course. Uh, he was not an album fanatic. So for him... He picked up two compilations that happened to be there and looked at the titles real quick and figured, oh, these seem like good overviews. What they were was the Red Album, which is a great starting point. And the other one was Real Music oh. from, from I think, 77 or somewhere thereabouts. It was, it was, I think it was like early 80s. Like, I think early it was like, 80s. Might well, have been well, there 82. you go. Oh, right. Yes. W- which is when they released that god-awful medley. Yeah, oh, um, the medley. What I yes. actually did before I started the podcast this year, because I was trying to give myself things to do, Right. I, I found a really low-quality like needle drop of the movie medley, and right. I kind of recreated the movie medley using like the highest-quality remasters available. Yes. So I made my own you know, 2020 remaster, the Beatles movie oh. medley. You should somehow find a way to post that because, you know, it, just historically, it's kind of interesting. It's it's clunky and it's a little bit, uh, I mean, they cut out lines in order for it to, to fit all together and whatnot. It's kind of terrible that they did that. If but, you want a Beatles you know, medley, you're better off, you know, with, with the, you know, stars on 45. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, which which is also a, an, an absolute riot to listen to. Um, but yeah, I mean, so he got us those two cassettes. And for some reason or another, Ethan, I really did not connect to the Beatles. I liked Can Buy Me Love and I liked Yellow Submarine. <laughs> and the rest... It just didn't connect. It felt a little bit too English, a little bit too cold. I just didn't warm up to them. So it was sort of like... Imagine if your dad got you some like Kinks cassettes. Talk about too English. Absolutely. I'm sure I would have not gotten into the Kinks. I'm absolutely sure of it. Um, I don't know. It just didn't connect to me. Fast forward to 1995, December 1995. I've just started dating uh, this girl whom I was at the time very much in love with. And we go out on our first date on December 8th, 1995. And of course, I'm not um, I'm not a John Lennon fan at this point. I'm not even a Beatles fan. So I'm not connecting that December 8th is the anniversary of John's death or anything along those lines. But everywhere we went on that day, and it was a day where we went to see a movie and we walked downtown Montreal, look at the Christmas decorations and all that. Everywhere we went, Free as a Bird was playing on the speakers. Mm-hmm. Everywhere we went. And I just loved it. I fell in love with the song. I associated the song with that magical day I was having 
with with this girl. And I also just thought it was the hookiest thing I'd ever heard. I loved it. And I thought, man, this is the Beatles. And I didn't I didn't quite understand the history of it and the fact that it was recorded with a John Lennon demo. That meant nothing to me. All I cared about was I thought it was a great single. I loved the drum sound. I loved the slide guitar. I loved the vocals. I just loved the song. So a couple of weeks later, Christmas comes around and my girlfriend decides to buy me Anthology One for Christmas. And I immediately think to myself, oh dear, she's made a terrible mistake. This double CD, I had seen it in stores. It was going for what, $36.99, so, It was Something extravagant like that. Yes. And, and we were 15 years old and, and I was thinking to myself, the reasonable, I mean, I'm not a reasonable person at all when it no. comes to buying stuff I love. I don't but think I any of us thinking, are. No. And, but I do remember at, at 15 at Christmas thinking, why did she spend all this money? I mean, it's only that one song that I'm interested in. Couldn't she find the CD single or couldn't she just, you know, make me a cassette of it or, or something but of course I thanked her and, you know, I was really excited. But during the Christmas holidays is when I actually took the time and forced myself to listen to Anthology One. And of course I'm thinking to myself as I'm listening to this, oh man, a lot of this, the, the sound quality is not really good. You know, all of their early recordings, like that'll be the day and, and their uh, early version of, uh, um, in spite of all the danger and all that, yeah. you know, as a non-fan at that time, it wasn't very interesting to me. But what changed it all was Can Buy Me Love. I already liked that song as a kid. And then hearing it a lot looser, a lot airier. It's a recording I really very much prefer, the recording on Anthology One. That, that's the one where it, it's in like the higher key, right? Exactly. And they do the call and response. Yeah. Oh, you know, like John and George are, are responding to, to Paul. And and then he flubs those lines. Uh, he, he goes immediately the diamond ring and then he goes, ba, 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 do, sha, do, ba, do, be. And they all sort of laugh. And just that. I swear, had a a huge impact on me. I can't stress enough how, because I heard four guys having fun and I heard four guys not creating a pop milestone, but rather just playing a song that they've just written and they're having fun with it. He still doesn't know the words by heart. He forgot to check his lyrics and whoops, he skipped a line and and they have a laugh out of it and they jam it out. They keep playing. Show must go on. And that's what made me fall in love. And at that point, they became these four characters, not just the iconic Beatles, the untouchable, iconic Beatles. No, now they were four guys in a room playing music, flubs and all, warts and all. And that's when I fell in love. Simple as that. So it took the anthology for you to really finally get it. It absolutely did. And then, of course, later on, on, on that very same CD, you have them going through multiple takes of eight days a week and I'll be back. 
and John flubbing the the first line of uh, Mr. Moonlight because he holds that high note a little too long. Nearly, you know, and I loved hearing them. I loved hearing them working out the kinks. Paul complaining about not having a plectrum yeah. on on uh, one after nine oh nine, and and him complaining it's too hard, you know. I and to me, that just made them so human, and and it was it was love, it, it, simple as that. Uh, so how did it go from there? What was after, you know, you were gifted the uh, two cassettes, you were gifted the yeah. anthology. What was the first uh, Beatle album or could have been single that you went out and got yourself? Well, I went out to, again, Sam the Record Man. Uh, <laughs> that store played a pivotal role in my uh, early fandom. It seems like that store played there. a pivotal role in most Canadians. I, I guess so. Lives. I guess so. Absolutely. And their prices are always more competitive than HMV. I mean, they, they were just, I, I loved Sam the Record Man. But anyway. Who would have thought um, that Sam the Record Man, in some roundabout way, outlasted HMV? I know. There's like I one know. left. Yeah, I know. Is it still to this day open? Yeah. In, in, in downtown Toronto? Oh, not in downtown Toronto. There's one open in... Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm trying so to. We're in Ontario. It no, it's it's um, it's on the drive to Ottawa. I'm trying to remember the name oh. of the city. Oh wow! Okay, uh, but it's still open it, to this day. Uh, I think it's Belleville. Oh, I I've been to Belleville. I think when, that's where it is. Went to see uh, Lindsay Buckingham play oh. a show in Belleville, Ontario. Uh, so there's another link to Fleetwood Mac right then and there. Um, yeah, so I went to Sam the Record Man, uh, 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 I, I don't know, a few weeks after Christmas and decided that I had to start buying the Beatles catalog. And I purchased Magical Mystery Tour. Why did I pick Magical Mystery Tour? Because looking at the titles, it felt like a compilation. And of course, it is a compilation in a sense yeah. side to the American uh, version, which is now the considered the canon version, I guess. Uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, Penny Lane, All You Need Is Love. Getting those three songs and then Hello Goodbye as well, which which, which I liked a lot. Um, it seemed like I was getting a lot of bang for my buck. And I couldn't afford to get the Blue Album on CD uh, because it was just too darn expensive for 15-year-old me back then on on double cd and so i got magical mystery tour and i remember looking at the album cover and thinking man this is a really ugly album cover but nonetheless uh these are great songs i'm gonna cherish this and of course i did you know i mean it it literally opened my mind up you know like what can be said about Strawberry Fields Forever that hasn't been said a million times. But I mean, what a recording. So yeah, Magical Mystery Tour was my first album that I bought with my own money. Uh, I, I also want to ask you, so now we've we've kind of established how you, you know, finally got won over by the Beatles. Yes. Uh, you, you told me off air, or quite a while ago, that your favorite Beatle was, uh, you know, Paul. 
that you were yes. very influenced by his music. How yes. how did you really, you know, get in touch with his solo stuff? Well, um, as a teenager, I was all about John, which I think happens to a lot of teenagers because John has that sort of F.U. kind of like uh, rebel uh, image. And he's also, uh, because of his untimely death and whatnot, he's been made into a bit of a, a bit of a deity, you know, and he's sort of seen as, as the, the, the fallen hero and whatnot. So, so as a teenager, for me, the Beatles were John Lennon and the Beatles. But as I got into, I guess when I turned like 18 or 19, as I got a little bit older, um, I started my 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 eldest brother. I'm I'm the the youngest of four kids, uh, and my eldest brother had the John Lennon collection, mm-hmm. which is that late '80s uh, Lennon greatest hits. Um, and ugly cover. It's just John kind of like sternly looking into the camera. Yes, and and not looking like John Lennon because no. uh, there are no glasses. He's very skinny, uh, which, of course, he was most of his life. But to me, that that wasn't a very John-like pose. It's an Annie Lebovitz picture. So, I mean, she's a great photographer, but that picture in in and of itself, you're right. It's really not a great Lennon picture. But, yeah, he owned that CD and he owned Paul's All the Best. And when comparing both CDs, like I would I would you know, listen to them casually here and there. I was a lot more interested in the Beatles. But as I was buying the entire Beatles catalog, I always needed new Beatles music. And so I would listen to their greatest hits and think, you know, I love John, but his solo material pales a bit in comparison to Paul's because Paul's music just, well, first of all, he was such a prolific artist in the 70s, putting out pretty much an album every year. And in 73, put out two albums and a movie soundtrack classic song. Yeah. I mean, so Paul was extremely prolific and more diverse, I think, and and more rich in terms of his musical diversity. So I was slowly realizing that there were more gems in, in the paul solo catalog and and it's you know it's kind of unfair to john because of course john only had like a 10-year window to create solo music and he took like a something like a four-year break out of those 10 years so i mean it's unfair to compare but i remember thinking man paul has some great songs and hearing stuff like band on the run and jet and listen to what the man said they were all songs that really captured, I feel, the Beatles' magic. And they were so melodic and so well-produced that I they were irresistible to me. And even stuff like Ebony and Ivory and Say, 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 they were vaguely familiar. I mean, I was born in 1980, so those songs were playing on the radio when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and... They, you know, they 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 sounded familiar. I I knew that I knew those songs, and and they were just, I loved them, you know. And even the the cornier stuff, because I guess Ebony and Ivory Ivory yeah. is a bit corny, but it's still it's still so melodic that 
I enjoyed it and I related to it. But what really got me into McCartney was, ironically, The Simpsons. Really? I'm watching the the Simpsons reruns when I come back from from school, from high school. Every day I come back from school and I'm watching an hour of The Simpsons, syndicated 5 and 5.30, you know? <laughs> and they air the episode where Lisa becomes a vegetarian. Yeah. Uh, through the guidance of both Paul and Linda. And Apu. And, and Apu. Yes, indeed. You're you're very, very right. And uh, the show closes and this great, I think, Beatles song comes on called Maybe I'm Amazed, which at that point I don't realize is called Maybe I'm Amazed. But I hear this song and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, what is this song? This is great. And so I'm trying to find it in my Beatles catalog at that point i don't think i owned every album i think i was still missing a couple but i'd heard everything yeah um and and this is remember this is like 95 96 well 96 to be precise and this is really the very very early days of the internet so i can't just readily find all the information i'm looking for and so the mystery lives for a couple of weeks what is this great song that I heard in the closing credits of the Simpsons episode? And I'm looking at all the best, which is the Paul McCartney greatest hits that my brother owned. And I can't find it on there. And I was extremely frustrated. I end up learning through one of my friends who was also a Beatles fan and whose father was a big Beatles fan that, oh, that's on Paul's debut album. It's called McCartney, and the song is called Maybe I'm Amazed. That's where you'll get it. And so obviously, I had to drop everything I was doing and run to Sam the Record Man. And in fact, I did at the first moment I got. And I went and I bought McCartney and fell in love, of course, with that song, but also fell in love with that whole entire album. And to this day, it remains one of my top five or top ten, at least, favorite McCartney albums, Every Night, Teddy Boy, um, which I've actually kind of grown past now. I'm not, I'm not, not a huge fan of Teddy Boy anymore, but I, I certainly loved it at that age. And Ooh You and Man We Was Lonely, all of those songs. I just fell in love with that album. I actually think Man We Was Lonely might be my favorite track on the record. Oh, man, it's such a great song. And it's so... It's so profound without, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound profound. It sounds like just a ditty. Yeah. But then when you consider those lines that he wrote well, in Paul the recording Paul was really studio, good at that. He was, absolutely. Making it seem like, like you know, just a little ditty, but having this sort of, you know, I, I used to ride on my Fast City Lights singing songs that I thought were mine alone. Now let me uh, be with my love uh, all the time I am home I, I'm paraphrasing I, yeah. I know I screwed up a couple of those lines but you know there's something really profound about those lines and so that's really how I got into uh, McCartney's solo stuff and then that same friend that that guided me towards McCartney said you have to get Ram Ram will change your life and sure enough 
Ram really did change my life. If I, I may mean, quote Ram, the movie Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, it's the logical <laughs> next step, man. It is the logical next step. I mean, Ram is absolutely incredible. And to this day, it still absolutely blows my mind and captures my imagination. It's near perfect. Uh, uh, it, it is near perfect. I, I tend to, and, and some will disagree with me, I tend to feel that the only minor imperfection of Ram is the overly long, long-haired lady. To me, long-haired lady should have been cut by about a minute or two, and then you'd have a perfect album. But I mean, that's such silly. That's also a reoccurring theme throughout Paul's solo career. Most definitely. I mean, look at McCartney three. You know, I'm I'm head over heels in love with uh, long-tailed winter bird. But I really honestly, it could have you know had two minutes chopped off. Absolutely, and and I mean. I adore it, and and I think it's such a vital musical statement, but it's overlong, sadly. You know? Hell, hell even like, Deep, Deep Feeling, it's a great song. Yes. I yes. I think, you know, it could maybe go from being like eight and a half minutes to maybe five and a half minutes. Yes, and it would definitely. still hold most of the same weight. Most definitely, and and you know, again with the deep. But I also feel a bit the same way about deep down. You know, I, I think that could have been trimmed, you know, a minute or two, and and it might have benefited the song a bit. I went for a run listening to the album a couple of days ago, and by the time it got to deep down, I was thinking to myself, you know what, just a bit shorter would have been, it would have helped push the album along. But again. We're nitpicking, yeah. and that's, well, that's what we what love we do doing here. Fans. I, want, exactly. I want to ask you, because, you know, McCartney 3 is still fresh on the mind. Oh, most definitely. How do you think it, it stacks up, like, compared to, let's say, the last two albums, New and Egypt Station? I think that, I mean, it feels a bit tighter than Egypt Station. It feels more like a complete one idea statement whereas egypt station and new both feel like great mixtapes you know it's like i went off and i did a couple of songs with paul epworth and then i went off and i did a couple of songs with ethan johns and i went off and i did a couple of songs with mark ronson so that's new and it's really like a mixtape of all of these different musical ideas and musical genres and i love new i I think new is Uh, a vibrant, gorgeous collection of songs. I also really like Egypt Station, and I even like You. I am not part of those naysayers of You. I think it's a really well-produced, over-the-top 2018 pop single. Sadly, you may not like this. I am part of that group of people who can't stand the song. Well, I mean, and I understand why, you know, I, I think the line... You make me want to go out and steal is really cringeworthy. I get that go out and steal is an old blues image and that, you know, but that makes me cringe because, of course, Paul hasn't had to steal anything since about the age of 24, you know, or or even younger. Yeah, Paul hasn't I mean, probably so- had to steal since Hamburg. <laughs> 
Exactly. So, I mean, yes, I'm not saying it's a perfect song, but I think it's so well produced. And and I love how driving it is. And I love how the chorus hits you. Is the fuck you a little bit um, corny and a little unnecessary? Sure. Is the go out and steal line a little silly as well? Yes, but it's a well-produced record. And I love it for what it is. Um, but I do find that McCartney is a little bit tighter and a little bit more, uh, it's, a, it's more focused to me. And, and that's what I love about it. And I, and I also love how all three McCartney albums, McCartney 1, 2, and 3, I love how they are all, each and every one of them, they are growers. They are albums that you listen to. And you sort of, you don't know about a couple of the songs. And then you listen to it again and you think, oh, you know, I didn't like this one on, uh, upon first listen, but now I'm liking it a bit more. And I really feel that the McCartney albums are just, they're fun to um, learn to love and appreciate. And and I love that they're they're gutsy and they're, just basically Paul following his inspiration and his whims. And if it's too long, then so be it. And if it's too weird, then so be it. He just puts it out there and it's for us. I mean, it took me at least 10 years to appreciate McCartney too. You know, I mean, that, that CD when I first got it um, was Frisbee material <laughs> to me. I, I, I didn't even like coming up. I, I only liked it in its live form i didn't even like the studio version now i take it's it like really one of didn't my, like temporary secretary i hated temporary secretary and it took me uh in 2010 i had a hipster work colleague that was telling me that the club she hung out at in the mile end which is one of the really hip districts in montreal was playing temporary secretary every night and i thought she was pulling my leg until i went to that club uh, i think it was the kajibi which is now unfortunately closed but and i heard temporary secretary played there and it recontextualized the song for me and made me go wow i actually really like how crazy it is that he has a big old sequencer right there in front of your face in the mix and then he has a big fat acoustic guitar strumming over that and a nerdy weird voice and now i adore temporary secretary and i adore most of mccartney too i i really can't stand bogey music but i love the solo on bogey music so because i love the the texture and the sound of that solo so i i just love you know taking in those albums and working at them you know what i mean yeah. One more thing about temporary secretary. When I yes. when I saw Paul live in Hamilton a few years ago, uh, you know, you, I I always I always find myself uh, I don't like uncertainty, and so when I go to concerts, I have you know set list FM on my phone just because yes. I want to see well, what song is he going to do next. Yes, but I purposefully tried to you know keep the phone in the pocket and want to be surprised by what he right. plays. And when the first few notes of Temporary Secretary started, yeah, I about shit my pants. And well, I started screaming. Yes. 
Well, see, for me, I, I wasn't lucky enough to, to see Temporary Secretary perform live. I've seen it on YouTube, of course, because um, he did it on a few dates of that uh, leg of the tour that he was doing. Um, but that happened to me with Ram On. I went to see him in 2010 in Montreal, had some amazing tickets. It was my 30th birthday, and so my parents and my family had, had got me some really amazing tickets for that show. And he took out his ukulele, and of course I'm expecting something. Yeah. Um, and then he says, you know what? We're going to do it just for you out there with the sign. And I, you know, I didn't know what sign he was referring to. I hadn't seen the girl with the Ram on sign. And he started playing Ram on and I literally wept. You know, I mean, I didn't weep uncontrollably, but I had a few tears because I, I couldn't believe it. That was one song that I had made peace with the idea that, well, I'll never see him perform that live, but wouldn't it be cool if I did? And there he was doing it with Abe. I remember Abe doing like the the bass drum sort of foot pedal thing. And it was just, it was like, wow, it sounds just like it does on the album. It's beautiful, you know, and I just, I couldn't believe it. Different band, but I had a very similar experience where I, I almost cried hearing them do it. When I saw The Stones two years ago, you know, my favorite Stones album is their Satanic Majesty's Request. Okay, right. Yes, and, yes. Um, I, I about had tears in my eyes when they started playing She's a Rainbow. Because oh, I was, like, I was not expecting that. Well, no, no. I love uh, 2000 Man is on that album too, right? I, I first heard that uh, covered by Kiss. Yes, yes, of course. Which I'm kind of, of embarrassed to say. No, I mean, some parts of the Kiss cover I actually like more than the original. It, so do I. I. I find the Kiss cover drives a little bit more. If they had it, kept, it's a little... If the Stones had done that same bit, you know, that they were doing like, Oh, mommy, pretty. Yes. If they kept that same, like, throughout the whole song, it would have been perfect. It would have been, absolutely. And and you know what? Let's be honest here. I mean, we're not going to digress too much into Kiss, but Kiss has produced over the years, especially in the 70s, but they produced a few total gems. Oh, of course. I mean, the the album from which 2000 Dynasty. Man is, is from, yes, Dynasty, um, has Sure Know Something, which I think is a gorgeous pop rock slash disco uh, song. It's really a, a really beautifully constructed song. So, you know, it's easy to make fun of Kiss because, of course, it's bombast and it's over the top. But there are a few real gems in their catalog. So I always tell people, don't entirely dismiss them because there there is some great stuff to, to discover in their catalog. Hey, and, you know, I, I mean, to get back to the Beatles, as a kid, hearing stuff like Love Me Do and I Want to Hold Your Hand made me dismiss the Beatles. Little stupid me uh, thought, hey, that's the Beatles. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear a guy saying to a girl, I want to hold your hand. That to me felt so inconsequential and silly. And of course, once I became a fan, I got the whole scope of it. And 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 I love it now. But as a, a kid of the 80s, you can convince me that there was anything particularly interesting about those early Beatles songs, you know? Yeah. I mean, you pulled the trigger you can never of my love gun is where it's at. There you go. There you go. 
By the way, I, there's something I have to mention in terms of my relationship with the Beatles, because I mean, fans on the run is all about the the personal fan experience. Go for it. I have to say, one of the major turning points for me with the Beatles was I borrowed the Red album on CD from a friend. It was a house party, and um, I sort of snuck it into my coat and only told her the day after that I had secretly borrowed it from her. But when I got home, I, I listened to uh, the entire um, Red Album. And when I got to You've Gotta Hide Your Love Away, I was, at the age of 16, uh, not really, I mean, I wasn't quite conscious of the fact that I was gay. And I don't want to get too deep into that, but let me tell you, as a 16-year-old kid in 1996, hearing John Lennon empathize about having to hide your love away, and who knows, you know, there have been rumors throughout the years that did he maybe write it as an homage to Brian Epstein, who was their uh, manager, who happened to be gay, or was it just written about oh, I'm in love with this girl and nobody can know, so I have to hide my love away. Who knows really what the song was written about? But let me tell you, 16-year-old Max Como, sitting alone in his room, and I still had a girlfriend at that point, but I knew I was in love with my best friend, who was a guy. Hearing that song really felt like a big brother putting his arm around me and saying, you know, I empathize. I know how you feel. I know that you have to keep this for yourself for now, but it'll get better. And gather around all you clowns, let me hear you say, I mean, to me, that felt really profound. And that was my own little sort of personal experience that I didn't talk about much at the time. I would just say how much I love that song and how much I love the sound of the acoustic and that flute in the end and whatnot. But it spoke to me on a very personal level. And that was the first time that a pop song spoke to me so clearly. And it felt like it had been written for me, even though, of course, it was written, you know, 21 years earlier, before I was even born. And, you know, but yeah, that was that was a huge turning point for me in terms of how seriously I took the Beatles. Um, I that actually is probably a good way to segue to, I want to ask you, what, what does the Beatles music mean to you? It, it really is a, um, I've referred to Paul as my spiritual father on more than one occasion. And, you know, this is something that for a casual fan, you know, will make them roll their eyes. Uh, and my, my actual father is my, is my favorite person in the world, along with my mom. I'm extremely close to my parents. So it's not as if I was lacking a father figure or anything along those lines. But when I'm having an anxiety attack or when I'm uh, questioning whatever it is that I'm questioning, whether it be my own musical career, uh, whatever it is, to sit down and listen to either the Beatles or any of the four Beatles in solo form. It is to me the ultimate 
security and comfort blanket of them all. I mean, nothing will appease my anxieties more than Red Rose Speedway, for instance. You know, I, I crossed uh, I crossed the Champlain Bridge, which is one of the bridges in Montreal. I crossed it on foot this past Monday, and I have a bit of a fear of heights. And it's a long bridge to cross when you're doing it on foot. It took me 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. Well, the second we got on the bridge, I put on Red Rose Speedway because to me, that's a anxiety calming album. And I listened to it and I sang to it as I was listening. And it was literally like a therapy session. And I love a ton of music. I'm a music addict, but nothing quite soothes my anxieties the way the voices of McCartney, Lennon, Harrison, Starr do. Actually, I may want to ask, like, kind of quickly, your music guy, what are your top five singers or groups that, like, Beatles discounted, what are the other ones that you you really dig? I am a huge Stevie Wonder fan. Um, love pretty much everything he's ever committed to tape from him being a kid, a uh, musical prodigy to even to this day, I think his last album is from like 2005 or something. Uh, but I still think he is an absolutely extraordinary artist. I'm a huge Radiohead fan. Um, absolutely love Radiohead in terms of um, other classic artists. I, I'm also a huge Steely Dan fan. And that's another band that initially I had no interest in. Um, to me, Steely Dan was a punchline in 40-Year-Old Virgin uh, with Michael McDonald and, and, and whatnot. I mean, Michael McDonald only sang harmonies on, their, on a, a few of their records. But nonetheless, Steely Dan to me was something I, I wasn't interested in connecting with. And one day I just randomly decided, you know what, I'm going to invest some time in this band because I, I hear they're supposed to be so great. And I and I listened to Decade, which is one of their greatest hits compilation. And it was a total game game changer for me. Um, I'm I'm also always, a I would always shrugged off Steely Dan until my friend's like, no, go buy a copy of Asia and then get back to right. me. Yeah. And, and and Asia is a challenging album if you're approaching it thinking you're not going to like it, you know, uh, because I remember a musician friend of mine in one of my earliest bands had lent me Asia. And sometimes when a friend lends you an album, you don't necessarily invest the same amount of time and effort that you might if, if you had bought it yourself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, so I remember just playing it in the background and thinking, ah, this is interesting, but, you know, it didn't grab me. So it took me a few repeated tries at Steely Dan before I actually got into them. And now, of course, I own their entire discography and their solo discographies, and, and, I, and I love them. But I'm also a, a New Music Friday addict. You know, I'm the guy who waits up every Thursday night for midnight to come around and I like to listen to everything. Well, not obviously not everything. Yeah. Thousands of songs come out every Friday, but I love listening to what's happening. And 2020 was an amazing year in terms of uh, Tame Impala, uh, Leanne Le Havas, 
Um, uh, there are so many artists out there. Mac Miller, posthumous album. It's a great album. So I still listen to a lot of music that comes out um, in the day to day, you know, 2020, 2021. Uh, but there are also a lot of classic bands that I just cannot get enough of. Um, I, now I, I, I want to ask you kind of about the, the stuff you've put out. Cause I, yeah. I, I'm actually, you know, I really dig your EP try and I was listening Thank to you. it. Um, and I can hear some Beatle influences and I, I'm wondering if you could like a little or elaborate a little on how maybe they've, you know, influenced what you've done. Cause I, I can really, uh, I can hear. I I took some notes. Where are, where are they? I'm not good at notes. Well, I'll tell you right away. Um, it's interesting. I w- I was mentioning the the fact that Fleetwood Mac sort of brought it down to earth to me and and made me realize that music wasn't just magic. That there was just there was a basic you know, get your hands dirty and, and put some chords together. And I don't know, they, they gave me that first idea that I, I could do it myself. So the Beatles have always remained on some sort of like untouchable trophy uh, shelf, you know, where it's like, oh, but, but the Beatles are untouchable. However, I'm realizing more and more that obviously because they were like, the seminal building blocks of everything that is music for me and for millions and millions of people out there, the millions of fans on the run. Um, I realized that their influence is in, in, in my music, even when I don't realize it. it. Interestingly enough in this, anyone who's made it this far into the podcast episode and that's still listening, uh, which I'm, I'm sure it is, you know, like your avid listeners, um, Go and check out uh, the first album, first solo album I put out in 2015 is called You. And there's a song on there called The Remains of the Day. And I actually realized yesterday, so this is a brand new realization to me, but I realized that if you listen to my song Remains of the Day, which I wrote and recorded in 2015, and you listen to Find My Way, from Paul's new album, McCartney 3. It's the same chord progression, and it's a very similar rhythm, a totally different vocal melody. But if you compare my song, The Remains of the Day, and listen to Find My Way by by Paul, there's a link there that's like, it's unmissable. And it, and it, it blew my mind yesterday, because obviously, you know, Find My Way didn't even exist when I, when I wrote The Remains of the Day. And, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form insinuating that I influenced. I mean, you know, wouldn't that be great yeah. if I had somehow influenced? Never Paul. say never. So I'm not even. Never say never. <laughs> well, never say never. But I mean, you know, let's be serious here. It, it, it's an F chord and a C chord. I mean, it's fairly basic, but but there's a, a similarity there. Uh, and there's a few of my songs where I'll once in a while I'll say, oh, maybe there's a bit of Michelle in there, and oh, maybe there's a little bit of I've got a feeling in there. There's one um, where I, I but, kind of got the vibe of uh, Band on the Run with the synth. Uh, oh, that's absolutely possible. I mean, God knows. Yeah. I I am such a lover 
of that 70s sound and and those little synth solos that that uh linda usually played at least in the live context you know i don't know if she was really playing them in the studio um but certainly she she was playing those like that solo on jet you know uh which you've seen the one hand clapping video of course right when linda does that solo and paul sort of you know, is looking at her and he turns back to his mic to, to to start singing again. You can see the love and pride that he has in her. And I get goosebumps every single time I watch that. He is so in love with her. And I love their onstage relationship, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, again, back a long winded answer. That was the name of the song. Back at it. Yes. That was yes, the definitely. Well, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, I think they do inevitably uh, creep into everything I do because, I mean, I'm listening to Paul and the Beatles all the time. So, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm going to who's some of those ideas and those textures and those sounds. Actually, when I was listening to it, I heard something and I want to I want to know if this influenced it at all. I heard a little bit of Dear Eloise by the Hollies. See, I, I really love that song, but I mean, if it did, it's completely subconscious. But now you're going to make me want to uh, listen to it again and sort of see. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really interesting. There's a part that reminded me of like the, you know, very beginning of the song, like the high pitched. I, wow, like an accordion or whatever it is in the Dear Eloise, but I think it was a synth. But I'm like, oh, I kind of hear the Hollies here. Wow, that's 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 amazing. So I'm I'm actually that's the first thing I'm going to do uh, when when we're done here. I'm going to go listen to Dear Eloise. I love the Hollies, and I feel like I don't know them well enough. Uh, so yeah, that's going to make me want to listen to that song. That I I didn't know the Hollies too well, but this year I made a point of trying to delve deeper into their um, catalog. And so I went right. through, you know, album by album. And yes. they did a lot of really good stuff. How uh, was Graham Nash with the Hollies for their entire dur- duration or just a part of it? Or He, he left, I think, in about 1968. And most, okay. of, most of the stuff I like by the Hollies is the Graham Nash era. Right, right, right. Well, there you go. I, but yeah, they're they're a seminal. Yeah, I'll even very send you my Hollies playlist. Well, and I'm gonna have to check it out. And I mean, you know, would there be a creep by Radiohead had there not been the air that I breathe? Yeah. I mean, the the comparison and the link between the two songs is absolutely unbelievable. It's every bit as, um, you know, similar as he's so fine is similar to my sweet Lord. Yeah. You know, so you sort of wonder how subconscious was that or how conscious was that? If Tom York was listening to this by now, he has most definitely turned off the show. Oh, most definitely. He does not want to hear that. He doesn't want to hear anything about creep, And he certainly doesn't want to hear how the Hollies might've influenced it. So now it, it's my favorite part of the show where we get opinionated. Max, yes. What is your favorite Beatles song? See, 
the song that I would name as my favorite song of all time, all artists, you know, like considering the entirety of, of music, I would probably say you got to hide your love away just because it was a real turning point for me. And it was my first time realizing how much pop music could uh, comfort, reassure, uh, educate even, you know? So I, I would say you've got to hide your love away. However, in my heart of hearts, if I have to pick my favorite Beatles recording of all time, for the last 10 to 15 years, that would have to be you um, You never give me your money. You never give I me your money specifically never, or the medley as a whole? Specifically that song because it still blows my mind. Opening up on that little A minor seven, that gorgeous melody, very bluesy. He sort of almost revisits it on uh, – is it anywhere or this never happened before at the end of chaos and creation? Anyway, he sort of goes back into those types of chords. Anyway, I just love the sound of that recording and how, you know, out of college money spent, how it, it sort of totally changes. And that was my first experience of really realizing how great Paul is at linking bits of songs the way he did on uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey band on the run uh, you know, countless other songs. That's one of his things. And it's one of those things that I really admire about his songwriting. And You Never Give Me Your Money, I think, as a band performance is absolutely incredible. It, I, I just think it's, I, I mean, anytime someone looks at me incredulously thinking like really the Beatles are your favorite band of all time I always say hey have you ever heard you never give me your money and usually if they're a casual fan they've never heard it yeah. even the title kind of surprises most people uh, the Beatles have a song called you never give me your money what's that all about but then you play them that and it's like man that could have come out in 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 2021 and it would still be you know a, a, a classic you know I mean, it could be a Coldplay song or an Adele song or a whoever song, and it would work and, and it would amaze and it would capture the imagination. I, I think it's an absolute masterpiece. And of course, A Day in the Life is another big one yeah. and Ticket to Ride. I mean, I could go on and on, but those two songs tend to be the ones I always go back to. Now, the flip side to that question, what is your least favorite Beatles song? I have two contenders for this. Okay. Oh, good. You actually and, have answers. And and I, I don't even hesitate. When, when people ask me this question, I, I don't even hesitate. My second least favorite is an album track off Help. Okay. On the, on the non-soundtrack side of Help. And it is Tell Me What You See. Yeah, I, I can hear that. It's I am I am really not a fan of that song. And every single time I put on help, especially on vinyl, where you can skip anything or you can. But but you don't, you don't want to have to, you know, have to pick up the needle no, and then look for where the no, gap. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. And tell me what you see. And, and I believe that they slip in a C word into that song. 
I am sure that I hear, can't you see my, I swear. I swear. I, I really, I, I firmly believe that. And, and, and I could be wrong, of course, but I really hear that. But I just, I don't know, that song to me, and it's mainly a Paul song, that song to me, it, it, it's terrible compared to the brilliance that he came up with on that album from the night before to obviously yesterday. And I've just seen a face. To, to me, Tell it's me always sounded see. off kilter. Like yes. when they're like doing the harmonies, it sounds like they're trying to go too fast. Like if you take yes. the it, exactly, it's not on the beat. The only part no, of that song which I really, really like is the the Hohen, yeah. Hohner electric piano. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly the only part that I like as well. You know, and I can hear that Paul. Yes. Yes, that's really and with the drum. Yeah, apologies to my wait, audience wait, wait, wait. for me having to do these myself. It's because I am terrified of copyright infringement. So this is the best you're going to get. And even doing well, I, that, I'm I still afraid of that. Sony ATV. <laughs> uh, I'm actually surprised at how uh, how how many and how much musical excerpts some other podcasts. Uh, get away with and I, I think to myself man at some point if someone hears that you guys might get into trouble that's why the but only I digress. music I've ever used in this show well actually the, no that's not true uh, you know I, I've had some guys from tribute bands on and I ask those guys yeah. could I use the recording of you guys doing this even then the publishing yes. rights like I a little shaky but th- it's a little iffy that's why for the most part the only music you hear is the theme music which i recorded myself right right and 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 that's solid i really like that because it's very much a a representation of the beatles sound well it's it's really just i can't believe it's not lucy in the sky with diamonds (laughs) right right um my my second uh least favorite beatles song and it's actually tied for for how much i dislike it is an album track no i i i like uh mr moonlight what i dislike about mr moonlight is the solo oh that's Um, like i i always burst out laughing when i hear that but it is so hilarious the it is hilarious organ solo that shows up out of nowhere it's it's hilarious, but it's so out of nowhere that I actually think it kind of hurts the song. And it's less prominent on the anthology version. And I was more familiar with the anthology version at first because I owned the anthology before I did Beatles for Sale. So, um, yeah, but it's not Mr. Moonlight. And, and plus, I don't really think that picking covers is all that fair. Yeah. You know, I'm not a huge fan of Dizzy Miss Lizzie. I'm not a huge fan of Boys. I'm not a huge fan of a couple of other of their covers, but that to me, it, it doesn't feel relevant. You know, we go to the Beatles for Lennon McCartney songs and Harrison songs and to some extent star songs. Um, we don't go to them for covers or, or at least I don't. So I don't want to pick a cover. My other least favorite Beatles song is again, an album track off a soundtrack. This one is off a hard day's night and it is, the only Lennon stinker, as far as I'm concerned, on a hard day's night. Okay, I have a feeling I when know. When I get yeah. home. That song, 
First of all, I hate the intro. Whoa, whoa ah, I hate it. Yeah, it, it to me, it feels so clunky by Beatles standards. And then, of course, the infamous line, I'm going to love you, love you till the cows come home. Cows come home. I, I can't I can't do it. And I know to some fans, that's just him being cheeky. And that's him just being sort of tongue in cheek. It doesn't fly. For me, it does not fly. I, I really think that's terrible. And I mean, I love John and God knows he wrote at the very least five certified masterpieces on A Hard Day's Night. I think You Can Do That, which is just an album track, is one of the greatest Lennon vocal performances ever. In my opinion, Tell Me Why is a contender for one of the best Beatles songs. It's a really, really great song, and I adore I'll Be Back, uh, and I always will. What what I've always loved about I'll Be Back is I feel like that is... I always associate that with um, the Everly Brothers no reply, like oh, the yes. last track on a hard day's night and the first track yes. on Beatles for sale. I yeah. feel like they just mesh very well. Yes, and I might be mistaken about uh, mistaken about this, but if memory serves, I think they're really close to each other in terms of the sequencing on anthology one. And because anthology one was my, um, you know, sort of my introduction to the Beatles in many ways, uh, I tend to associate those two songs as well. Um, and they're both really great, uh, songs that aren't regularly mentioned by casual fans because they're you know they're non-singles and they're they're album tracks there's there's only one song between them on anthology one oh there you go and which one is it Uh, it mr moon you know what to do oh Oh, right and two versions of no reply on here there there are yes and and they're both and they're both fascinating and and no reply. What a gutsy album opener! I love that they open an album with that song because that is not an album opener when you stop and think about it. It works geniusly on Beatles for Sale, but when you compare it to I Saw Her Standing There, It Won't Be Long, A Hard Day's Night, those are all in your face rockers. Help drive tell my car, you, and I will stand by that. Um, Taxman, I've just seen a face is not the song that opens Rubber Soul. No, it isn't. No. Absolutely, it isn't. I, I, I don't find like it, the American version very much. I, I sure, it influenced inter- Pet Sounds. I don't give a shit. Right. Well, no, I, I, I don't either. I find it fascinating that for some people that was their first experience with Rubber Soul, but I'm really happy that by the time I got to buying the Beatles, which were the 1988 CD uh, issues. I'm happy that they went with the the British version because that to me is rubber soul as nature intended. And the idea of cutting songs and leaving them for the next sort of half-assed compilation capital put together, I, I find that's really tragic. And to think that they got Revolver with I'm Only Sleeping and... Dr. Roberts cut out. That's tragic, especially I'm Only Sleeping. I mean, I'm Only Sleeping is one of my top five favorite songs on Revolver. So to imagine that album without that song, I think is a travesty. I really do. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, 
I don't remember. I think they might have even also cut out Andrew Bird can sing. I, I think I'd have to go check I the record right. and apologies to any yeah, Beatles scholars well, listening to this. It's like, no, it wasn't. Well, I, I don't remember. No, I think I think you're right, because I, I, I remember thinking that there were three songs cut off Revolver and all three of them were Lennon songs. And all three of them were songs that I loved. Actually, Dr. Roberts is probably my least favorite on Revolver, but I don't dislike it either. Revolver's a, a freaking masterpiece. Yes, I just, just fact-checked it. Well, oh, there you go. There you go. And it probably this probably leads you into your next question, I, which I, is, I, what is your favorite Beatles album? You just asked for me. Okay. Well, there you go. I think you're right that Revolver is their greatest album. I think you're right. And I love how when you state it as your favorite Beatles album, you really mention that it's Revolver. That is the correct answer. Yes. And there is no other answer to that question. However, however, for my money, for my personal taste, especially in the last decade, I've really come to calling Abbey Road my favorite Beatle album. Because... Abbey Road to me is just some people feel it's too polished, but that might be part of why I love that album so much is that I feel it sounds so contemporary. Well, it's the best sound of Beatles record. Oh man. And and they are as a band on fire on that album. And and I just love Abbey Road. And I and I also love Magic um Maxwell Silverhammer oh, I love and Octopus. People yeah. trash on Maxwell Silverhammer. It's one of my favorite Beatles songs for the for George's lead guitar and the Moog yes. synthesizer alone. The the Moog synthesizer and that anvil sound yeah. that ding ding, you know that that clang that, clang. That Moog synthesizer it, made Abbey Road like ten times better. It, absolutely, its use on Here Comes the Sun is and absolutely gorgeous. And because, of course, yes. Because, which is, you know, uh, really one of my favorite Beatles songs. And, and the acapella version, which is to be found on uh, uh, Anthology 3. That that acapella version of Because is... Haunting. Haunting, yes, absolutely. And now I have a feeling, you know, what the, uh, the next question is going to be, what's your least favorite Beatles album? <sighs> you know, it would have to be Yellow Submarine. Um, because I, I'm a huge fan of film scores. In fact, I have an insane collection of film scores by John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, Rachel Portman. I love film scores. But if I'm listening to a Beatle album, I, I'm not particularly interested in hearing a George Martin animated film score and and i mean i love those pieces of music i think they're beautiful i think they're beautiful orchestrations and whatnot but that's a whole entire side of a beatle album that i'm not particularly interested in so and then on side a you have yellow submarine been there done that with revolver where it belongs I mean, it belongs on the Yellow Submarine soundtrack, too, obviously. But you wish that it was a completely different uh, mix or a completely different re-recording. I, I know there's a pair. I will defend yeah. that, that record because it has some of my favorite Beatles songs on it. Like, 
Yes. Although, I will say, uh, Only Northern Song may be my favorite Beatles song. I prefer the version on Anthology 2. So do I. Because I don't like the new version of George's vocals. They don't... He sounds too sedated. Exactly. And it sounds almost like slowed down a little. On the... It kind of does, and and also I find that there's an overemphasis in the mix on the the sound the effects, sort of sound effects, exactly. Whereas on anthology, it's more stripped down, and it feels like a song as opposed to a record. You know what I'm saying? It lets the organ shine through that beautiful Hammond part. Absolutely, and I mean, I love it's all too much, and That's I even love together song. now. Uh, it's it's a gorgeous song, and it's a gorgeous record. The record of it is beautiful, and I love all together now, even though it's a kid's song, and it's got silly lyrics. And can I bring my friend to bed? I mean, I, I like all together now. So, I hate picking a least favorite album, as I'm sure all fans yeah. hate picking a least favorite but you know yeah, but what the correct Yellow answer is let it be oh man ethan i i really disagree on that i i am not a huge fan of let it be uh as an album and i i think that phil specter did some really horrible things to, to some of the songs on that album but an album that includes two of us across the universe uh, For You Blue, um, The Long and Winding Road, Let It Be, and I've Got a Feeling. I've never been crazy about Long and Winding Road. However, it does have I Me Mine, and I love that song very much. I, I love I love I Me Mine as well. And I mean, you don't you love I've Got a Feeling? I, I've, it's not one I often think about when I think of Beatles songs that are like my favorites, but whenever I hear it, it always puts me in a good mood. Ah, man. And I mean, all these years I've been wandering around, wondering how come nobody told me all I've been doing is looking for a girl like you. When he sings those lines, it's like, oh my God, this is a rock and roll voice, ladies and gentlemen. George just like going to town on those bends. Exactly, you know, and I and I love Paul coaching George on those bands in the Let It Be documentary. I hope that still makes it into the Peter Jackson uh, Get Back, uh, because that's like, you know, that's not them fighting. It's just Paul really insisting on how he wants that that part played. You know, uh, I love I've Got a Feeling. In fact, it it has to be one of my. Tw- 25 let's say top 25 favorite beatles recordings i'm i'm nuts about it and paul and john's little sort of rap part you know i love it i love it i, I was in the car the other day and i was listening to the sirius xm beatles channel and they were doing yes. something that honestly had me like laughing so hard and tears were coming out of my eyes they were doing a top 75 early beatles songs and at oh that point, I thought, like, that's just overkill. Like, it is overkill. Were, the, were they counting? They For sure, they were counting live at BBC and, I d- and Outkick. I don't even think so. It was just studio no. tracks. Well, well, that <laughs> seems a bit... That, that definitely... Like, might as well just listen to each and every album between 63 and 66, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, just, just do the uh, Red Album overview and, you know... 
add a few songs here and there and you'll end up with a top 75. And uh, uh, unfortunately, as George Harrison said to no avail to the Beatles, trying to get it on the album, all things must pass. And now I want to hand it over yeah. to you. Where can people find your stuff? People can find my stuff on absolutely every single streaming platform out there, be it Spotify, of course, Apple Music, Deezer. Uh, you can find some of my stuff on YouTube, Max Como, and Como is spelled C-O-M-E-A-U, which is the uh, uh, French uh, spelling. Uh, but basically, you pronounce it just like you would Perry Como. Um, and yeah, you'll find I have two uh, full-length albums. One is called You from 2015, and one is called Rock, Paper, Scissors from 2017, which is the big sort of produced uh, album. Um, and the latest EPs, uh, Back at It Again and Try, which were both released in 2020. And without, um, without wanting to promote too much, and, and this is far away into the future, but in 2022, when our dear Paul turns 80, I will be releasing in June of 2022 an album of all original material, most probably. But this album of all originals, I'm actually already starting work on. I'm in pre-production right now. And it will have a very Paul aesthetic to it. I've decided to really fully embrace the influence that this musical genius has had on me. And so we've been bringing out the old 70s synthesizers and uh, really thinking in terms of, well, how would Paul approach this? So that's 2022 and it's far into the future, but I guarantee you that that album will be coming out in 2022. What will it be titled? That I don't know, but it's happening. Definitely. And uh, I'm not just saying this because you're on my show. Go listen to his stuff. It's good. Awesome. Thanks, Ethan. And uh, I mean, this is it. I mean, this is fantastic because you've really put together a, a show that is really all about the fans. And the fans are such a huge part of the Beatles story. I mean, there was a Beatlemania when I was 16 years old caused by the anthology. Yeah. And then a few years later, when they put out one, there was a bit of a Beatlemania there. It was, the, I think, the best-selling CD of 1999. It was like the best-selling CD of all of the 2000s. Well, so there you go. I mean, people are still there right now. No matter when you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're listening to this podcast in 2022 and you're looking for my <laughs> my just released album. But I mean, you're listening to this podcast right now. Maybe you maybe you're, you know, 12 years old and you've just discovered the Beatles for the first time last night, you know, and that's what's extraordinary about them. And I guess this applies to all of the bands out there. But there's really something special about the Beatles because it seems like every adolescent goes through a Beatles phase. And for some, it might last just the, you know, the time of a, a party at friends. And for some, it'll last years and years and years. But I mean, the Beatles are the go-to for millions upon millions of people and will continue to be so probably for another couple of hundred years. And and now this is my least favorite part of the show, where I, I have to do my, my own 
plugging spiel, and it's always a tongue twister. Plug away, Ethan. All right. Plug Ooh, away. Let's, let's get this marathon going. If you're watching this on YouTube or listening to it on YouTube, as a lot of you seem to do, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, please hit that bell notification uh, button right next to the subscribe so you get um, notified every time we put out a new episode. And uh, especially now in 2021, you're going to be getting even more fans on the run. And not even just like these. I'm going to be doing some interesting bonus episodes where maybe I bring back past guests. Maybe it's a roundtable discussion. Who knows what it is? But roundtable, roundtable. That sounds like a fantastic idea, Ethan. Well, there. See, I already have feedback right now. Perfect. (laughs) And uh, if you haven't already been listening to me there, you can find me streaming. Uh, I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on. Podbean, I'm on Stitcher, I think I'm on Deezer. I'm pretty much everywhere you can find good podcasts and most bad ones. Um, you're uh, you're here, there, and everywhere. Thank you. That's terrible. That's terrible. I'm, I'm going straight to hell for that one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can find us on Facebook, Fans on the Run Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Fans on the Run Pod. They wouldn't let me fit podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at Fans on the Run Podcast, where I post all the uh, artwork where I do the shows, or f- artwork for the shows. And I haven't done the artwork yet for this show, but I have a very strong hunch I'm going to be doing all the best. All the best was my uh, introduction to Paul, and it was, uh, it's funny because there are so many songs on All the Best that I now love that I remember when I first listened to them, like after 30 seconds, I was like, what is this crap? The best example of that being Sea Moon, that little flubbed intro. Was that the intro I should have been in? I thought was so terrible. And now it's one of my favorite things in the ball uh, catalog. And um, if you have any comments, you know, if if you have any suggestions for like guests you want to see on the show, if you want to give feedback, if you want to tell me I'm doing a terrible job or whatever you want, you can reach me at fans on the run podcast at gmail.com. And finally, one last thing, a bit of clarification Earlier in the episode, we were talking about Sam the Record Man, and I made a joke where I said, well, that's entertainment for my American listeners and my younger Canadian listeners, even though I am probably the youngest. uh, That was one of the (laughs) slogans for Sam the Record Man. There you go. With that being said, Max, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, This was a total joy, as I knew it would be. Listening to your show, we feel like we're in the room with you and your guest, and we feel like we're part of it because we're all fans, and we're all on the run. So, I mean, you're doing it, and that's fantastic. Why am I hearing the Pink Floyd song on the run now that you said that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What a creepy song that is. But with that being said, thank you to everyone out there for listening. You can go home now. Fans on the Run is produced by Ethan Alexander. Additional voiceovers by Richard Phillip. This has been a Showtown production.